This episode was made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. For more information, please visit patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. I strive to make this podcast a safe and inclusive place for my listeners. If I've missed any content warnings, please let me know. Content warnings for this episode include Mature Themes You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 320. Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I'm your host, Chris Lester. You can learn more about me and my work at chrislester.org and metamorecity.com. Each week, I share a piece of my fiction with you, fresh off the writing desk. We'll also tell you the latest on my writing endeavors. So let's get started, shall we? Here is this week's story. Today I'm bringing you Chapter 3 of Honor Bound by L.C. Williams. If you're new to the show, go back to Episode 318 to hear this story from the beginning. The following recap will contain spoilers. In our first two chapters, we met the heroines of our story. Honor Hinbelview, the daughter of a country baron from a minor noble house, and Natasha Volkova, an ex-soldier who is now working as a house guard for Duke Hassan, the Metamorian sovereign. Tonight is the debutante's ball, when Honor and the other young lordlings will be welcomed into the peerage as adults. The event is held at the Duke's home, Hassan Manor, and Natasha will be working security. One of her fellow guards, an Arambian woman named Irene Ndiaye, has warned Natasha that the ball is a frequent target for party crashers, pickpockets and other ne'er-do-wells looking to prey on the naivete of the young people. Apart from that, the biggest danger to the young lordlings is themselves. Celebrating with their peers as adults for the first time, they might embarrass themselves and their houses by overindulging in alcohol, or in romantic liaisons with one another. Honor has received a gift to mark her passage into adulthood, a beautiful jeweled butterfly amulet that once belonged to her mother. The notorious Lady Sylvia nearly destroyed House Bellevue when she ran off with a foreign lover fifteen years ago, abandoning her husband and the three-year-old Honor. Whatever her reasons, though, Sylvia wanted Honor to have the amulet when she came of age, and Lord Bellevue said that he would not be the one to keep Honor from claiming her birthright. Thus reassured, Honor decided to wear the necklace. Honor Bound, The House of Bellevue, Book One, written by L.C. Williams, narrated by Vivian Ferrari. Chapter Three, Strange and Unexpected. Honor's father was waiting for her in the entry hall. Lord Bellevue spread his arms and beamed up at her as she descended the stairs, his broad face wrinkling up along familiar laugh lines. His thick silvery beard had been freshly oiled and combed, and it gleamed in the gaslight as much as his balding head. There she is, he announced, his sonorous voice full of pride, 
not to mention loud enough to be heard in the kitchens, Honor was certain. Honor, my sweet, you look breathtaking. A gaggle of household servants appeared from the doorways to the left and right, all of them looking up curiously at the girl who would shortly be the lady of the house. Honor knew all of them, had done for years, but something in their expressions was different now. She was suddenly very conscious of the amulet around her neck. She wondered if the older servants had seen it before and knew to whom it had belonged. She felt warmth creeping into her cheeks and was suddenly very grateful for the makeup she was wearing. Maybe, under the rouge, a little added redness would go unnoticed. She made her way carefully down the steps, feeling her way since she could not see her feet at all, and gave a full formal curtsy before her father, spreading the hem of her skirt and sweeping one foot behind her the way her tutors had instructed her. Several of the servants murmured sounds of approval. Your lordship, Honor said. You are very kind, my lord. Lord Bellevue's dark brown eyes sparkled with pleasure. He stepped forward, gripped her shoulders with both hands, and kissed her lightly on the forehead. My little girl is a woman now, he said fondly, and looked her up and down. His eyes fell on the amulet, and Honor saw a complicated swirl of emotions flicker across his face, too fast to interpret. He closed his eyes for a long moment, and when he opened them again, he looked calm and contented, if also a little sad. Does it look all right? Honor said, low enough that she hoped only he could hear. You wear it well, father answered, matching her tone. He kissed her brow again, patted her shoulders once, then turned away and headed for the door. He added, his voice booming once more, Let's be off. The Duke awaits. A glossy black carriage stood waiting by the curb in front of the Bellevue City House. It was yoked to a team of four tall, beautiful horses, their chestnut hair and blonde manes curried and brushed to gleaming perfection. All around them the street was full of traffic. One-horse handsome cabs, elegant thin-wheeled coaches, heavy utility carts drawn by mules or oxen, and even a few of the new skimmer sleds, which used magic to float on a cushion of air. Dozens of people on foot hurried past on both sides of the street, their clothes marking them as members of the lower classes on their way home from work. Narrow buildings of brick and stone towered above them on all sides, stretching four, five, or even six stories high. The air was thick with the smells of civilization. Soot and sulfur, sewage and horse manure, sweat and cooking meat, and the indecipherable stink of the refuse bins. For Honor, who had spent nearly her entire life at the Bellevue Country Estate, it was all terribly exciting, and more than a little overwhelming. Cousin Tyrrell and his son Graham were already waiting beside the carriage as Lord Bellevue and Honor approached. General Tyrrell in Bellevue looked crisp and professional in his blue and gold army dress uniform, the long handlebars of his silver-gray mustache waxed to perfection. His pale blue eyes glinted like ice chips in his narrow, aged face, and his long and hook-shaped nose gave him the look of some fierce predatory bird. He had several pounds of medals and service ribbons on his uniform, 
and every bit of brass, silver and gold, was spotless and gleaming. His cocked hat, also blue with gold trim, bore a large plume of white feathers, an honor reserved to the Empire's generals. This did not help Honor's avian impression of the man. Cousin Graham, properly Lord Graham, scion of House Bellevue, was roughly of a height with his father, had the same blue eyes, and was likewise in an army dress uniform. There, the similarities between them ended. Graham's uniform had not been pressed in recent memory. He had left the top two buttons of his collar unfastened, leaving room for a bright red cravat that was utterly non-regulation. His field service cap, a thin wedge-shaped hat made of soft cloth that could be folded flat when not in use, carried no feathers and was slightly askew. His thick black hair was combed neatly, at least, and his goatee was neatly trimmed and pointed, in accordance with the current fashion. At forty-three he still wore the bars of a first lieutenant, and he had no medals on his chest, only a single service ribbon for the Army Logistics Office. Honor noticed that he was leaning against the side of the carriage, looking bored, and only straightened to attention when Tyrrell cleared his throat. "'Lord Bellevue,' Tyrrell said, his sandpaper voice low and formal. Though father was thirteen years his junior, Tyrrell still bowed to him deeply and respectfully. Graham's bow was rather sloppier, but still deep enough that father could not reasonably have taken offense, assuming he had even been looking at the younger man, which he had not. "'General,' Lord Bellevue said reverently, giving him a bow in return that was very nearly as deep. "'I'm so glad you could be here for my daughter's debut. You do her a great honor.' Graham snickered, a seemingly involuntary reaction, whether to father's accidental pun or some private thought of his own, Honor could not be sure. He covered it by pretending to cough into his hand. Both elder men ignored him entirely. It was no imposition, my lord, Tyrrell said. His hawkish gaze fell on Honor, scanning her up and down. My dear, you look every inch the lady tonight. Your grandmother would have been proud. Honor curtsied again. Thank you, sir. Lord Bellevue gestured toward the carriage door. Shall we? They all climbed aboard, Honor with the aid of a step stool and a hand from father, and took their seats across from one another. The carriage was wide enough to hold two more people on each bench, which meant there was plenty of room for Honor and father to sit beside each other, in spite of her voluminous skirts. A footman closed and latched the door behind them, and the carriage rumbled off in the direction of Hassan Manor. Graham leaned his head against the window, folding up his hat to use it like a pillow, and closed his eyes. So, father said after a moment, what news from the Senate, cousin? Wednesday was the first day of the session, was it not? Indeed, Tyrrell said, sounding disgusted. It's everything we feared after the election, Harold. The progressives have had the gavel for three days, and already they are running amok. Honor watched her father closely. Lord Bellevue looked like he wanted to laugh at the older man's grousing, but he respected Tyrrell too much to do it to his face. Surely it can't be as bad as all that, Lord Bellevue said, somewhat delicately. 
It is, Tyrrell insisted. Already they have passed a bill on succession reform, as if it were the business of the small folk to tell us how to govern our affairs. The Council of Peers will have to take it up now, so you can expect to be called for a vote before the summer is out. God's willing, we can squash the damned thing before it gains too much of a following. What sort of reform? Honor asked. Her voice came out sounding rather timid and small. Tyrrell frowned and squinted in her direction. Eh? What's that? Honor cleared her throat and spoke a bit louder. What sort of reform are they requesting, Cousin Tyrrell? Oh, they want to replace the rule of agnatic primogeniture with absolute primogeniture. I see. Honor looked over at her father, somewhat hesitantly. Uh, Agnatic primogeniture says that the eldest male heir inherits the noble title, and thus the leadership of a house, Lord Bellevue explained. I inherited the title of baron from my father, who got it from his father, and so on. I don't have any sons, so my title will pass to Cousin Graham when I'm gone. He nodded across the carriage toward Graham, who was still pretending to be asleep. Assuming your father outlives me, that is, Tyrrell interjected. Indeed, Lord Bellevue agreed. I see, Honor said again, more confidently this time. So then, absolute primogeniture means... She frowned, trying to remember what agnatic meant. She was sure her tutors must have covered it in Swillman class. Absolute primogeniture is what the Sathmorans have, father said. The title passes to the house leader's firstborn child, regardless of sex. Androgynes and females are treated equally to males. But, why, that would make me the house scion, Honor exclaimed. She tried to imagine older nobles like Cousin Tyrrell bowing down to her, calling her Lady Bellevue. The very idea made her head spin. Exactly, Tyrrell said. From the sour look on his face, Honor imagined the same possibility was flitting through his mind, too. Typical progressive nonsense, pushing an idea forward without thinking about the consequences. Absolute primogeniture would throw the peerage into chaos. We'd have a pack of androgynes and women suddenly thinking they're qualified to lead the houses. Honor frowned. That there are houses led by women and androgynes, aren't there? She was sure she had heard of such things, even if it was unusual. There are, Tyrrell admitted grudgingly. When there isn't a male heir available, or the only male heir already holds a superior title, then the leadership of the house will pass to an androgyne or to a woman. And in some houses, all of the members are androgynes, father said, which, I must admit, simplifies the inheritance question a great deal. Tyrrell's lip curled in distaste. The androgynes will do as they will, he said. They have defied social tradition since the day the curse made them, and I doubt we'll ever have much luck in persuading them to do otherwise. 
but that is no excuse to let them push their degenerate lifestyle on everyone else. If this bill passes, dozens of house scions would be stripped of their titles overnight. Women unprepared and unsuited for the burdens of leadership will find it thrust upon them. He shook his head irritably. Madness. Just madness. Honor looked over at her father again, saw him open his mouth, then close it. Whatever Lord Bellevue thought about the matter, he apparently intended to keep it to himself. Well, he said at last, I suppose we'll see what the council has to say about it. Tyrrell harumphed, but added nothing further. The carriage pulled up to the gates of Hassan Manor, where several other vehicles were waiting in line to be granted entrance. The sun had already set, and gaslights mounted on the walls above them cast pools of yellow radiance on the street. Guards carefully inspected each vehicle and its occupants, shining lanterns or wizard lights into the interiors and along the undercarriage. A tall, slender woman in mage's robes strode slowly down the line of coaches, making arcane gestures with a ritual dagger, motes of yellow-green light dancing around her head. What is she looking for? Honor asked. She leaned forward and poked her head out the window for a better view. Dangerous enchantments, Tyrrell said gruffly. We may have burned the Republic of Telvar down to cinders, but they still had agents in the field when the war ended. A bomb at the debutante's ball would be a particularly nasty bit of revenge. Take out the ruling class and their immediate heirs. Graham spoke up, though he still didn't move from his languid posture. I doubt the surviving Telvari would squander their lives on something so pointless. I think they're looking for Daedra. Imagine the chaos an incubus or succubus could stir up among all those newly marriageable lords and ladies. He sounded almost gleeful at the prospect. A strange thing happened then. A rush of warmth flowed out from a spot just above Honor's breastbone, radiating through her whole body. At the same moment, an image came vividly to her mind, a succubus infiltrating the ball, disguised as an impossibly lovely woman. In her mind's eye, she saw the sex demon moving easily through the crowd, charming everyone who looked at her, stirring up the passions of innocent young maidens and sneaking off to ravish them in the back rooms. She could picture it so easily. A tall and powerful woman, wreathed in red smoke, her eyes burning with inhuman fire as she pushed Honor down on some stranger's bed. She tore Honor's lovely white dress to ribbons, stripping it off her like the wrapping paper off a yuletide gift. Her strong hands ran up and down Honor's naked flesh, her mouth taking one nipple between her teeth and sucking hard. Honor gasped and fell back from the window, landing hard on the floor of the carriage. Her cheeks burned, arousal mixed with shock and humiliation. Where in all nine hells did that come from? Gods, it felt so real. Graham, Tyrrell snapped and cuffed his adult son on the back of the head. Look here, your filthy tongue has shocked your poor, innocent cousin. For God's sake, boy, show some decency when a lady is about. Graham's eyes flashed with hot, sullen anger, though Honor was sure that she was the only one who saw it. 
Tyrrell and father both had the weakened eyesight of old age, and the interior of the carriage had grown quite dark. Father helped Honor back into her seat, and she leaned her head back against the cushioned headrest, her eyes closed. She couldn't look at any of these men. I do apologize, Cousin Honor, Graham said, his voice all silky sweetness now. I have no wish to offend your delicate sensibilities. I'm afraid I spend very little time in the company of ladies as pure and virtuous as yourself. Honor's mind flashed back to her fantasy again, the succubus leering down at her, the weight of her body pressing Honor into the mattress. Pure and virtuous, she thought, shaking her head to clear the image. That's me, obviously. I, I accept your apology, cousin, she said at last. Her eyes flickered over to Graham. He was watching her now through half-lidded eyes, a sardonic twist to one corner of his lip. Does he know? How could he know? Even Honor did not know where her sudden lurid fantasy had come from. Had he sent her the image? If so, why? And how? Graham had no talent for magic, as far as she knew. Is everything all right in here, your lordship? The voice had come from the window Honor had just vacated. The court mage stood just outside now, and was peering into the carriage with an expression of mild concern. The motes of yellow-green light still encircled her head. Quite all right, Wizard Ereba, Lord Bellevue said. My daughter was only curious about your work. I'm afraid she lost her balance trying to get a better view. The mage, Ereba, apparently, turned her attention on Honor. Her brow furrowed, her dark eyes narrowing. I thought I sensed a working here, she said half to herself. My lady, did you notice anything strange or unexpected a moment ago? Honor swallowed hard. Her fantasy had surely been both strange and unexpected, but she could hardly confess to it in front of her family. N no, Wizard Ereba, she said at last. I'm afraid I'm just clumsy. I apologize if I disturbed your work. Ereba said nothing for a long moment. Her gaze drifted down to Honor's neck, and for a time seemed to linger on her mother's amulet. Was it enchanted? Honor was seized with a sudden desire to ask, one that she quashed just as quickly. If she mentioned the amulet, she would have to explain where it had come from, and then she would have to listen to Cousin Tyrrell rant about how her mother was a whore and a traitor. He would surely demand that she take off the necklace, and might even insist that it be destroyed. Father was loath to go against the old general when his back was up. Even if Mabel was right, and Father had wanted Honor to have it, he might not be able to resist Tyrrell's demands. No, the amulet was hers. She would not let these old men take away the one thing her mother had given her. Honor remained silent. Not at all, my lady, Ereba said at last. Then to the driver, you're cleared. Go on in. As the horse's hooves began to clop and the carriage rolled forward, Ereba bowed her head to Honor. Enjoy the ball, miss. Th thank you.
Honor said. Then the carriage passed through the gate, and they made their way up the long, curving path to the steps of Hassan Manor. And that's the end of Chapter 3. Come back next time, when the House Hassan guards get some last-minute instructions from their captain, and Natasha wrestles with some ghosts from her past. Chapters of the House of Bellevue will be released once per week for 51 weeks. If you're enjoying the story and want to listen to it faster, the entire series is available now at Amazon and Audible. To learn more about these characters and their world, visit www.authorlcwilliams.com. Elena Ferrante said, I think of writing now as a long, tiring, pleasant seduction. The stories that you tell, the words that you use and refine, the characters you try to give life to, are merely tools with which you circle around the elusive, unnamed, shapeless thing that belongs to you alone and which nevertheless is a sort of key to all the doors, the real reason that you spend so much of your life sitting at a table tapping away, filling pages. So, fill two glasses of wine and put on some berry White. It's time for the Weekly Writing Report. This update covers the week of March 12th through March 18th. I wrote 2,105 words this week, over the course of four hours, for an average writing speed of 526 words per hour. I wrote on four out of seven days this week. This week I made a bit more progress on Out of the Shadows. I had the day off from work on Thursday, and I used a good chunk of the afternoon on getting myself unstuck from the writer's block that I've been feeling for the last few weeks. I didn't get a lot of words written, but I do feel as if I've gotten past the part that was bogging me down. I'm hopeful that next week I'll be able to make better progress. I'm now in Chapter 6, and the manuscript is a bit over 14,000 words. Over the last couple of weeks, I've also begun doing research for the next story in the House of Bellevue. One of my goals for this series is to frame the story around important achievements of Metamore's progressive era, which of course has parallels in our own world. In the first three books, the backdrop was the passage of the Veterans Adjustment Act, which put into place the institutions to help those who were returning from the World War. For the next book, I'm thinking about a backdrop of labor reform. In our world, the struggle between labor and capital in the industrialized world was a defining feature of the late 19th and early 20th centuries. There's a lot of drama to be had there, and for characters like Honor and Alex, who are gifted with wealth and privilege but are inclined towards reform, there's a lot of potential for dilemmas and conflict. I'm also particularly interested in learning more about the women of the Progressive Era, and the ways in which they pushed against the boundaries and expectations of their society, themes that have been important to the House of Bellevue. I began my research by reading a book called Sensational, the Hidden History of America's Girl Stunt Reporters, by Kim Todd. It's a fascinating look at the people whom we might call history's first investigative journalists, women like Nellie Bly, Ava MacDonald Valesh, and Kate Swan McGurk, who exposed the corrupt and abusive institutions of their day and helped to agitate for reforms. 
these women were able to get stories that no man ever could, and they inspired the classic female reporters of 20th century fiction, like Lois Lane and Brenda Starr. This book was a lot of fun to read, and it's giving me ideas for a new character to serve as a foil for Honor and her crew. I wrote up a few hundred words of notes on what I had learned from the book and how it might be applied to the world of Metamore. The other big venture this week was in the world of advertising. I've decided to make an aggressive push to introduce the House of Bellevue to new readers, so this week I launched ad campaigns through both Meta and Amazon ads. Between Amazon, Facebook, and Instagram, the ads for the new books have already been shown more than 15,000 times. This has been slow to translate into actual sales, but I've seen a lot of people giving the books a try on Kindle Unlimited, where I get paid royalties based on the number of pages read. More than 8,000 pages were read in the first week, which feels like a decent start. We'll see if the books continue to gather steam as the ad campaign continues. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, send your feedback in text or audio to metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900, then enter extension 255082, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is facebook.com slash author Chris Lester. The fan group is fans of Metamore City on Facebook, and our Discord server is Metamore City. I'm there pretty often, so come say hi. If you like this show, please consider leaving a review at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podchaser.com. It really helps people find the show. That's all for this week. I'll be back next time with more fresh new fiction. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2022 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives license. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.